Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another weekend from the great state. I'm joined by Robert Craig, and we're going to continue to unpack the 2022 election in this show because it's still going on, right? Nationally, it's pretty much everything settled here in Wisconsin. We'll talk more about Wisconsin and Wisconsin politics later in the show, but we are going to start like I said, talking about what's been going on in the unfolding of the election. Robert, we record Thursday morning, and uh, this morning we woke up to news. We knew this was going to happen, but the Republicans did take control of the House last night. Unless you're an election denier, Robert, and you think these numbers are funny numbers, but uh, it does appear, uh, much to the shock of no one at this point, that Republicans will get a very narrow, and we're talking about less than five, vote margin in the house it is also now that we're recording clear and it wasn't as of last week uh, that democrats are going to have a stronghold on the senate my <laughs> strong i mean more than probably 50 uh, <laughs> so uh which is definitely worth noting because let's let's remember folks the senate these are states they can't be gerrymandered any more than they currently were when they were first designed. <laughs> so it is important to understand that um, in your in our hindsight of looking at this, Robert, I want to get your thoughts on this where we're at. Right. We're going to have uh, a divided, narrowly divided chambers on both sides. And I, let's start with the Republican side. Since this is the latest in the news, McCarthy is going to hold power, although he was clearly challenged. About 40 folks uh, challenged his leadership, but looks like he's going to he's going to have to consolidate that in order to become speaker. A House, Robert, that maybe one or two vote Republican. And this is this is a Republican Party, Robert, that is not really unified at the moment. Uh, your thoughts on the state of play in Congress now? a week and a half after our election. So when you said that, unless you're election denier, you can say this is a legitimate outcome, I would point out that gerrymandering is a form of undemocratic uh, voter suppression. And we ended up having a bizarre situation where a number of red states, including deep South states, were allowed by federal judges to have highly anti-democratic districts, ones that in, in a couple cases grossly underrepresent the African-American community in those states and uh, and actually maximize Republican outcomes in places like Texas. Yet in New York, a judge struck down the Democratic maps and created a situation where we lost four seats, which is the margin. So understand we still have unelected federal judges deciding in an inconsistent way and we're still allowing something that should be should be unconstitutional that is the scientific manipulation of districts to lead to undemocratic outcomes and we and wisconsin is ground zero for that having said that narrow majority for republicans uh, which means the Overton window, the window of possibility shrinks because nothing passes unless we can get a few quote unquote moderate votes. So nothing that's not like the CHIPS bill or the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And even then you don't know. So really, it's very fortunate that we got a lot through at the end, even though it wasn't all that we wanted, because it was the only cut in Biden's first term at legislating. 
Uh, now, we have this problem the Republicans have with, is it with Trump or is it with Trumpism? It's very clear that the Republican Party has been all about power the whole time and has been willing to, has had no ethical qualms about going along with the whole Trump, you know, carnage, literally carnage, um, in order to gain power. And a lot of the critiques of him are about him being a drag on the ticket and therefore about power, not about anything ethical at all. But then here's the problem. He still has this powerful uh, control of the base and he affected and influenced and determined primary outcomes to their detriment, giving them Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker and uh, Kerry Lake and other you know, flawed candidates. Uh, the question is, and they, you know, they put their head out. They thought they could knock him out um, at the beginning when he first ran. They thought he could knock him out after the Access Hollywood tapes release, which would have killed almost any other political career. They thought the insurrection was going to do it. And they brought their head out from rocks. And every time it didn't work with their base, they retreated. So that's the question, Matt, whether this is just another another scurrying out of the foxhole as soon as they hear as soon as they hear thunder. From the MAGA base, they scurry back in. There, this is also mathematics. Um, if they can have a Republican primary for president, Robert, and not have, you know, six or eight serious candidates jump in, he he will slice and dice them. <laughs> it, it it won't really be serious. But if they can find a way, and by they. Let me be clear. I am talking about the evil empire, the money, the corporate power, the that actually is behind. Let's let's say they're in both parties, but like is totally behind the curtain in the Republican Party has been completely on board with Trump. As you said, Robert, even through an insurrection, their only concern is when it's costing them actual power in terms of their ability to implement their agenda upon our heads. Uh, so. The question is, can they keep a lot of other folks out and keep it really, quite frankly, DeSantis or one or two fringe candidates versus Trump? That would possibly make him vulnerable where you're getting. But the fact of the matter is he's got a solid base. Uh, Ruth Conniff talks about this. You can separate yourself all you want. And it has been, Robert, I think every ex or retired Republican Boy, they must their throats must be sore this week because they've been busy talking all over the national media, any mainstream media, put a mic in front of them to talk about the idea that somehow Trump is going away. Well, the truth is, the folks who are actually elected, they may hint, oh, we're going to have other candidates that are none of them are actually saying, I will not vote for Trump. They're not separating themselves, really. And it's because, Robert, they fear oh, what you brought up his Robert. base. Robin Voss is an exception, but Robin Voss in some ways has no alternative because Trump already tried to take him out and probably will again. So he better kill Trump now uh, or he'll face that again in two years. Uh, but that tells you the power of Trump. Look, really, you know, Mike Pence is probably not a player at all. OK, even though he thinks he is, he thinks he, he thinks <laughs> His God interview has was a surreal. purpose for him. Uh, strange guy. Uh Hard, hard to get, get with the 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 vote the opportunistic evangelical right. It's a he'll pack an old church, Robert. But I think he's yeah. I think he's a man without a base beyond the uh, older church folks. Right. So 
Um, obviously, DeSantis, the real question is, can DeSantis claim Trump's base when Trump is attacking DeSantis? And that comes down to how good a fascist politician do you think DeSantis is? And I don't know that we know that he's the master here or that he comes out of this not completely bludgeoned and bloody. Uh, and then I guess it's Youngkin in Virginia. I don't have an assessment of what Youngkin's ceiling is as a politician, but he's going to protect, he, he's, he's in the lane of, I'm going to do all these anti-democratic things and culture war stuff. I'm going to seem more moderate in doing it. So he's a, less nasty than DeSantis. Well, but Robert, regardless, we're going to have this Trump's in now, right? That's the other big news that we didn't explicitly state uh, announced this week, a fairly listless announcement uh, by Trump standards, but nonetheless, he's in. Uh, and that dynamic of this presidential race already being on while that house tries to govern itself, folks, get out the popcorn. It It's going to be interesting to watch. Obviously, I, I don't say get out the popcorn to, to say this isn't serious. I actually still believe, right, like a lot of the fundamentals around democracy are still very much at risk. Robert, you you mentioned the gerrymandering. We're going to talk more about that and how it played out in the state. But the, I want to, before we go in transition, and also, Robert, I do want to talk about Senator Baldwin's success around uh, the bipartisan same-sex marriage bill. But before we go off of that, I do want to talk about the inflation as an issue and get your thoughts, Robert. Um, there was a lot of back and forth uh, before the election and certainly in the weeks leading up around this being an issue that was going to wipe out Democrats. Uh, and even in the exit polls on the surface, it was the top tested issue, like 33 percent, whereas I think abortion was like 27, something like that. And it was just sort of automatically assumed that that issue would sink the Democrats. And there was certainly, I think, a good critique. We talked about this, that Democrats hadn't actually done a really good job of articulating a good economic message or, quite frankly, articulating what they did and how it was having a significant economic impact. And Robert, that's what I think actually happened. I think that the economy, while inflation is out there, there are some fundamental good things that happen because of Biden in terms of stimulating the economy. A lot of jobs, jobs that were paying increasingly more. People sensed that they could still get a job and that a lot of that stimulus is making people, shall we say, I don't know, a better able to deal with the inflation, which was the whole point in many ways. And so even if voters couldn't articulate that and say Biden helped with this, they were still feeling it. And it had to do with why, given what they were up against, being super concerned about Trump and what the Republicans were presenting, that like a lot of voters, like they weren't necessarily punishing the Democrats over it because their particular experience wasn't as bad. Robert, I want to get your thoughts on this after the break. And both inflation, but also the economy and how you think it may have played, because clearly it did not damage the Democrats the way a lot of the pundits thought it would. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, where citizen action.
Battleground Wisconsin is sponsored by Wisconsin Education Association Council Region 2. WEAC Region 2, protecting the rights of education employees and promoting public education in central Wisconsin area. Learn more at WEAC.org. Welcome back to this Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, I want to get your thoughts, set it up before the break around the economy, inflation in general, how it impacted and played out in this election. And then if we can, just a little bit on how it pretends as to how we go forward as progressives thinking about this uh, next two years. Robert. It is really hard to line up issues and votes. That's why the idea, which uh, Woodrow Wilson originated, the only political scientist elected to president, of a mandate. It's very the, the public is voting for candidates for a lot of different reasons, a lot of cultural reasons, identity reasons, uh, uh, perceptions of whose side they're on. Uh, but what I think is clear is, and by the way, polling has become so inaccurate, we got to stop with this kind of analysis that these are the three top issues in the polls, and therefore that will determine the election. It's just not the way humans behave, okay? Though it has a factor. So obviously, if a, if a party is very unpopular on an issue and it's a highly salient issue, it's certainly going to influence elections, but it's not the only factor. And I don't think they're very good. They were not very good at delving into the underlying impact of abortion, regardless of how many how, how high people rated it, or the threat to democracy. So there was just a lot of underlying stuff that the polling is just too ham-handed to get at, and its samples are too inaccurate to get at. Uh, so having said that, it is certainly true that it traditionally, since elections are almost always about pocketbook economic issues, that it's unusual for a party to fare this well when you have a spike in some a highly visible economic indicator that people feel pain over, like inflation. They feel pain, let me remind you, because we've rigged the economy to make sure the wealthiest get the disproportionate share, and therefore... Over 40% of the country can't afford a $400 surprise bill of any kind. And so inflation is more than that. And then they're getting other surprise bills like medical bills or car repairs, massive spikes in their rent if they're renters, et cetera, et cetera. And so that even if they they don't know that they have their they didn't lose their job because of Biden because that's counterfactual right because uh, Biden did and the administration because their investments did a tremendous job with maintaining employment levels they know they're facing inflation and they know it this week if they're trying to buy a Thanksgiving turkey so um, it what's fascinating is. It was cut down by the other issues by as Mitch McConnell said candidate quality by abortion by the underlying unease with uh, the threat to democracy and the direction of the country. I want to say this, this is not being said, that I think the Republicans have been so good at grabbing and holding on to power and clearly exercise power that, look, this is a Republican Supreme Court legislating, okay? And I think even though people wouldn't say it that way, it's understood, and, and Republicans had tremendous blocking power on the Biden agenda, that they don't feel like they used to, that the Democrats are fully in charge and therefore they don't get the full uh, disadvantage of incumbency when economic times are challenging. 
look, I, I really appreciate hearing your thoughts on this. I, Robert, I, of course, um, you know, wanted to talk about this because we have been talking about not only the economy, we've talked a lot about the Fed. And one of the reasons I'm super pissed about the Fed is I think what they're doing is 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 clearly going to suppress this economy. And I think it's going to hurt on job growth. Shout out to uh, Harold Mayerson who discovered two exit poll questions that I he proffers and I think he hits it on the head helps explain why voters you know weren't super pissed about inflation or why it didn't necessarily damage democrats clearly was an issue it's clearly hitting people but a uh, one question first is how confident were voters that they could find a good job if they needed to uh 65% so jobs are plentiful that is at risk right now. It's something we need to be very careful about. The other one is how confident are that you can keep up with your expenses? Because that's really at the end of the day, super important. 67% were somewhat or very confident. And this tells you that like there's complex things going on in this economy that still have not been fully explained to voters. And a lot of this is we are awful at economics in this country and progressives us i take my i take some role in this to understand how much money actually is flowing into the economy on what was passed in the last 2 years right compared to the to any time at least in my political lifetime significant amounts of money things that kept this economy going even if people were not giving biden democrats credit because it's a com complex world we're in and inflation uh, was all that was talked about. Those two questions demonstrate that while, yes, it is hurting, and there's still a lot of people, even 30%, that's a lot of people that are hurting, right? Or that are having a hard time, that for a lot of folks, this economy is still okay, right? And that these plans helped us get through an incredibly tough time. So, and by the way, a lot of this money that's flowing is going to continue to flow over the next 18 months, two years, when we are going to be struggling to have an agenda that's as robust as what it was the last two years in terms of what can pass. We better have an agenda that's bigger and more visionary because we got to lay out a plan for two years. Because folks, that Congress, that House is effed up and is super vulnerable if we have our shit together as progressives and ready to be wiped out with a vision in the next election, a presidential election that could have Trump on the ballot. Right. So there's tremendous opportunity for both visionary policymaking right now, but we got to get out there and continue to explain what's going on in this economy and how a lot of the stimulus that was put in two years ago is going to continue to be impacting our economy. Robert. Yeah. And it's interesting if you follow Wisconsin media, every little red town or small city is announcing projects and they, it says at the bottom, funded by the American Rescue Plan. Like they didn't notice, they all are hopping mad and voted for Ron Johnson and Tim Michaels. Uh, but- Hey you know, folks, when you see those articles, yeah. share them in your social media and just remind folks, this was part of the Inflation Reduction Act or whatever, the COVID, and every Republican in the state voted against it, right? And it, we gotta keep whole, educating people. Right, the whole phenomenon of Republicans taking credit for the American Rescue Plan in their districts when they voted against it, which the Democrats did a good job of calling out. So here's where we are, right? And you know, I don't like 
that we're in this position where the only answer to inflation is a forced slowdown in in uh, in employment and going after working class people. But that is because the only tool available is what tools are available to the Federal Reserve Board because Congress is broken. It's been broken for decades and doesn't do economic policy. And so since the Democrats could have won this election if we were competent in explaining and acting out message. Now, I've been pointing out it's not just message. It's lack of agreement in this big tent coalition. The gap between Kirsten Cinema and Bernie Sanders and AOC uh, this is an opportunity since we can't do nearly as much lawmaking, though we got to make book with the Biden's administrative powers now that a lot of appropriations have been passed through the Inflation Reduction Act and the bipartisan infrastructure law in particular, uh, and what's left spinning out of the ARP, the American Rescue Plan. Uh, this is the time to make this party a serious economic party with a serious agenda for working people. And progressives are right as to where the public is. The reason corporate Democrats, including our governor, it's very good he was reelected, are wrong is because they're listening more to the business class, to the donor class, than they are to average people. And they're there. And, you know, we've got to, I think there's as an opportunity to agenda set. So we go into 2024 with not with a much more unified democratic economic agenda. There's a progressive populist agenda. And then that's much easier to message. Okay, we can't message something that is incoherent underneath. Sorry, folks. Yeah, no, there's just um, folks, there's a lot of opportunity uh, and we have to have our shit together and get serious about this and make sure that our agenda is out there because the dysfunction on the other side is going to continue. And their vision, by the way, the only governing that they're going to try to do in the in, in the House is going to be investigating and trying to slow up and gum up and stop money in the Inflation Reduction Act and stuff that is that we're talking about. And so it's a perfect contrast that they will that will be their governing while we should be out there talking about what is the next step beyond the Inflation Reduction Act? What are the pieces that we're missing? Because folks want to move in a climate and, and change that economy. We have to have the vision while they continue to cut it. Two big things that Citizen Action works on. Look, they dropped the ball on health care. A lot of the inflationary burden is health care inflation, and it's hyperinflation. It's continuing because we've given all the power to uh, uh, the, the big hospital monopolies, the big insurance companies and big pharma, and they're going to keep escalating. And that is, and so that we didn't see that as part of inflation, which the polling clearly showed. And contrast to what the Republican agenda, that was a drop ball. Just mentioning prescription drugs on the side does not do it. And then climate change, you see renewable energies are the solution to higher energy costs. The co it's cheaper and more reliable. You're not dependent on global commodity markets or foreign dictators for the price. Don't have to worry about OPEC. And so we need to lean into those as economic issues in addition to health care and environmental sustainability issues. Folks, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us all over social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, um, I want to give you an opportunity uh, to talk a little bit about 
What is a very important piece of governing? I am, I'm moved by it. I was really excited to start reading about the stories this week as it was growing. And then yesterday, uh, passed the first hurdle, and that is uh, a bipartisan same-sex marriage bill that has been, let's say it, folks, shepherded by our U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin. And it's been something that she's been working on a long time since, basically since uh, the wonderful Supreme Court uh, decision and uh, 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 Supreme Court Clarence Thomas's comments, and has done this in a bipartisan manner, which makes this thing very powerful, almost bulletproof. Uh, and actually, let's just say it from a, a values perspective, lays down that this is a majoritarian value in this country. Robert, this is very exciting. Senator Baldwin deserves a shit ton of credit. Uh, it looks like this is going to happen. We had 12 Republican votes yesterday, uh, which means we should be able to get through the filibuster. Robert. So Tammy, Senator Baldwin, has been working on thinking about this issue. This has obviously been her cause as a, as a member of the LGBTQ community uh, since the beginning. I've known her since she was a first-term uh, county board member in Madison when I was a student. And uh, she, she was always one of the deep thinkers. She was always the one I would ask um, where we are on 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 a whole civil rights agenda uh for for gay people and uh she always had she was always working on it always knew all the strands etc so she did something that got that was somewhat controversial on the left she counseled everyone that we should not go for a test vote before the election because it would go down and therefore we'd leave people unprotected and clarice thomas really said this is next right uh, and everything else that's based on a right to privacy in the Constitution, which since it's not named specifically by the founders, they say doesn't exist. I missed the part about corporations being people, but I digress. In other words, a lot of right-wing doctrine is not in the text of any original Constitution or talked about by at the Constitutional Convention. So anyway, um, so she said no. We can pass this after the election when there are election consequences. And that did leave something on the table. That is, Ron Johnson voted no. He tried to pretend he wouldn't vote no during the election. We knew he was lying, though some of the damn fact checkers actually believe what this man said in the election. I, I think we'll find on abortion he was lying as well. And uh, and so we didn't have that. I don't think it makes it makes up the a difference in the outcome, but something was given up. But she was right. She was governing. And I think we need to remember as we try to repair democracy that we do need to become the governing party, that it can't all be like the right, which is all about symbols, right, and all about divisions between them and us, that you're actually there to govern. I think that's one of the reasons Democrats did well in this election is that they're only party interested in governing. And so kudos to her. She was right. She knew where she wasn't doing wishful thinking. It wasn't like Clinton and Obama thought they could work with Republicans or Governor Evers, for that matter. She had a realistic assessment and she was right. And folks, she's up for re-election in two years. Right. This is like this is the kind of stuff that's going to make her a stronger candidate going into that cycle, because you know what? There's a lot of a lot of folks who are independent voters. We, found, we know there are swing voters. We just experienced a few of them. We also experienced our base 
expanding on both sides in these last two off off uh, presidential elections, both 2018 and 2022. These are significant turnout elections. So having her govern that way, I think is going to be extremely effective. And, you know, I just think it's going to make her put her in a position where she is going to be. I'm not going to say almost unbeatable because we're a swing state, but she's incredibly formidable. Let's remember how well she did six years ago. Uh, she was a part of, in addition to the Walker Evers race with generating that historic turnout. So uh, congratulations, because uh, it's not done, but it's basically a done deal and just wanted to make sure that our listeners are aware and that we gave her that shout out because this is real stuff. As we said, we often are in political gamesmanship, but this is uh, serious and uh, could be something that is um, a landmark piece of legislation for generations that will look back and realize maybe this was the piece that also starts to pull some um, common sense conservatives heads out that they need to actually accomplish things that people care about. Robert, I want to move to the state. We got to talk about what's uh, a little bit more debrief the fallout of our election. It's pretty much now established. And what I want to talk to you about, Robert, is we had what I'm going to call a governor, a mandate for Governor Evers. In this state, you win by like three points like that, three to four points, right? Like you, that's a that's a solid win, especially uh, given how close the state is. But yet we have this incredibly gerrymandered legislature on the other hand. So we've got an Evers mandate statewide demonstrating that this state is in a different position than what is now even stronger majorities. Now, they did not get the veto proof in the Assembly. They did in the Senate. So, Robert, your thoughts, um, where do you see the next play here at the state budget? The one time the governor has real leverage uh, with uh, they they need they they need each other in order to pass a state budget. So, Robert, your thoughts? Uh, any thoughts on takeaway from the election at the state level and how this sets up uh, for probably a lot more dysfunction? But just your thoughts on this as we head into the next uh, state budget. I hope you're right. They need each other. You see, in the first two budgets, Governor Evers's position was is that if he vetoed not only the entire budget but any large sections of it that the budget reverts back to the previous two-year budget, which is a massive cut, and they leave it that way. And so he and his understandable and, and uh, praiseworthy emphasis on governing let them write the budget, signed it, and the last time took credit for things that were should not have been taken credit for, like signing a regressive tax cut and call a middle-class tax cut. We need to avoid another such move. Here's the difference. Well, the one difference is, can Evers, will he veto the Medicaid budget if he, we don't get Badger Care expansion? Uh, and will he have a budget crisis over it that focuses attention on that where there's 80% public support for it and isolates them and sets them up for the next election and you back them down because it's a rational position that costs us money, that we spend billion more last more than a billion more last uh like last budget in order to cover fewer people it makes no sense other than in kind of trump logic or scott walker logic uh but the second thing is robin boss uh in it, trying to reassert control since trump bear, narrowly 
uh, failed to take him out in his primary, in not only dissing himself with Trump, not only picking fights with the most Trumpy uh, election denying members of his caucus, uh, but he said that he thinks that the Republicans need to become more in line with what public opinion is. Now, that is inconsistent with the gerrymandering Speaker Voss has led, which guarantees they are not accountable to the public. And that is why we that you have elected officials that don't care what public opinion is. OK, so he caused that. But the question is, is he going to try to find common ground with Governor Evers? You know darn well that Governor Evers wants nothing more. This is the most honest thing he said in his re-election. Any politician said in the whole country that he craves bipartisan solutions. So his ears are perked up, and you know Governor Evers wants it. Can Voss deliver it? That's Look, the question. Robert, or is he I, even serious? Robert, we've been at this a long time. Our state budget is a couple of key drivers. Education and health care. The two major things. And I think on both of those, he's we're in a credit, he's an incredibly strong position. Education is an issue that was bubbling under the surface and didn't get nearly the attention because of all the crap on crime and everything. But it is a real issue out there that was percolating and it particularly in state issue, state races, because people get that their funding comes from the state. So that's going to be a huge fight. And Evers has tremendous credibility on this issue and you're right it was his concern over you know holding up funding uh, for school districts heading into the fall well look i think if he gets out front on this and tries to expedite the process to cause to not delay the denouement of this and actually have that happen earlier and start to go out and lay out early that he, districts should be prepared to expect that this may be delayed, but he's going to fight for them and he is going to put an end to this and he's going to fight for funding and he should send very clear signals about this and on healthcare and on legalization of marijuana because there's revenue there and he can, yeah. and there's revenue on the Medicaid money and he can beat them up over that. And, and if he can get this to play out quicker and bring this to a head in May, He's got more time to pummel them and and get this done and beat them in the media. I mean, they do have to head in. I mean, I got this uh, next election season is going to happen so damn fast that especially on the back ends of these state budgets. We know that, Robert. So he's got tremendous leverage. This is really a question of whether the governor is going to use. And I said it, his mandate against their gerrymandered crap. Um, on behalf of the people and uh, and for for public education, um, there are districts that are in deep trouble. Right, there are a lot of referendums that pass to make up for what is still an inadequate funding resource. I know they did two thirds, but uh, structurally things are not better necessarily. So, anyways, this is the question, and you know I think Evers has has the mandate to do it and they're popular and challenge Voss on what he said that they need to move on popular issues. I just talked about three 70, 30 issues that he could center his budget on and they're all major revenue drivers and the marijuana legalization, my God, we're, we're falling behind other States and it's just revenue going away for no good, no good with that, Robert, we're going to take a break when we come back. I want to hear, Robert, we're going to talk about 
representative branch and in the infighting and how this may play out. Want to get your thoughts. And then, folks, spring election right around the corner. We're going to talk about the Supreme Court race. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Battleground Wisconsin is sponsored by Wisconsin Education Association Council Region 2. We act Region 2, protecting the rights of education employees and promoting public education in central Wisconsin area. Learn more at weacweac.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin, Robert. We talked about it before. There's definite infighting within the Republican caucus in the state legislature. We talked about this two years ago coming out of the Trump election and this divide within the QAnon caucus. Uh, Janelle Branchin has been sort of the head uh, along with the goofball who ran for uh, governor in this caucus. And she also chairs a very important elections committee, campaign and elections committee. Robert, she has been apparently barred from the assembly caucus. Uh, and by that, I'll take Ain't going to be chairing that committee anymore. This is kind of big news. It's uh, more, shall we say, uh, verification that Voss may be taking a different track. Well, let's rewind slightly. Uh, there is this right-wing Republican kind of uh, leadership in Wisconsin, which was not the Trump leadership. It was a Scott Walker leadership and and Scott Jensen and Rens Priebus number of people tied to Diane Hendricks and the same billionaires yes. that are behind Johnson. Yes. yes. And they were against Trump in 2016. They delivered the primary overwhelmingly Republican Wisconsin primary to Ted Cruz, but Trump swept everywhere else and they had to knuckle under. And Scott Walker I know you were saying people not in office are now going against Trump, not Scott Walker, which tells you that the man still has political ambition. He is now, if you miss Scott, he's a pundit on Newsmax. If you can tolerate it, you can see Scott uh, trying to dance around like a politician to, 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 to position himself. So they've been waiting. And then, of course, what happened is Voss tried an appeasement strategy, right? Kind of like what failed with uh, Nazi Germany, right? What he did was, okay, Brandigan is chair of the committee. She's a Trumpy election denial of the election committee in the assembly, and will do the Gableman investigation to appease Trump. But it was so crazy, every time he tried to pull the plug, Trump would attack him, and then he'd back off. And then regardless of letting that thing spend a million dollars, right, Trump still went for him at the end and and try and almost knocked him out of office. So it is sort of like if you try to kill the king, you better succeed kind of situation. But it's what I said before. Republicans have raised their heads, some elected, more likely unelected, several times in Trump's history. And Trump, when he held on to the base, they then recapitulated. And the other thing about Trump is you can say shit you want about Trump. As long as you debase yourself and get on your knees and uh, and repromise fealty, look at Lindsey Graham. Look at the things Lindsey Graham said or Ted Cruz said about Trump. So in a way, you can take a shot at him as long as you're willing to debase yourself later when it doesn't work. So I, that I actually is a great trivia question: Which Republican has most degraded themselves in order to 
get in line with Trump. I think it's Ted Cruz. I think what Ted went through, there's nothing more humiliating. What he did to his family, to his wife, to him personally, and just the things he said and how Cruz, Cruz avowed he would never go back to him. He made all kinds of statements and then went back to him right like and well, made made that speech <laughs> on the nomination if we're nominating finalists graham cruz let's not forget little marco little little um marco rubio marco rubio little marco <laughs> oh god by the way uh you know um what's his name ron ron desantis that that's desanctimonious uh as uh, trump is now calling him this is going to be much to watch folks we we will we will continue uh to track and talk about this but robert this this divide this divide though within the republican caucus is real and it looks like it looks like voss is going to try to send a message to her and i assume what what's the dude who i already forgot his name who ran for governor well let's rant them let's not let's keep our eye on the ball here Okay, and I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying this to the, to everyone on on the left and the Democratic coalition. Uh, in a way, this is different brands of authoritarianism. Let's remember that the Scott Walker coalition was happy with massive voter disenfranchisement and undemocratic maps. They just won't go as far as decertifying an election that Democrats clearly won. Okay, so or having an insurrection, but beyond that. They're willing to do, and you could argue that those means are more effective in any democracy than Trump. So the idea that the threat to democracy ends if Trump recedes is not the case. A more effective Trumpism that doesn't do obviously crazy shit and revolutionary shit, you know what? That might be the more dangerous one, folks. Oh, and it's so it's not even close. It is. DeSantis is so terrifying. I'm just saying, let's keep our eye on the ball here that these folks are both threats to democracy. Let's not get caught in to the media spectacle of making politics a spectator sport and realize that our main goal here is to build the power to vanquish both strands of yeah. republicanism because it is all a threat to creating, maintaining what's left of and developing a true multiracial democracy. And it's certainly a threat to human civilization because if the U.S. does not lead on climate change, we ain't doing it, folks. Let's let's also be clear that the people behind all of these folks are the same moneyed interests, right? I just mentioned Diane Hendricks and, you know, I didn't say the U-lines, I just did. Um, there are local flavors of billionaires but they're all over this country and uh they're they're the ones who are backing this and, and the e-lines is... matt have you know now live in northern illinois so they were also doing some crazy shit in illinois so they're they're more multi-state than uh, uh spreading spreading their good news and information um yeah no look it's um it's the same folks. And so we just will, we will never lose sight of that and continue to articulate that on here. And, and let's remember the only reason they are trying to separate themselves from Trump is some sort of perception that it's actually hurting them and their ability to implement their fascism and their, let's just say it, corporate greed and putting the wealthy ahead of everybody else, basically in our interests. Robert, and you did a very good job of reminding us, right? Like we just need to stay focused on our agency, our vision, our values, and our goals going forward. We will do that at the state and federal level. Uh, one of the most important things happening, and 
the next six months is this spring election for the Supreme Court race here in Wisconsin. And we may be talking about this almost every week until now, until April. But Robert, I wanted to at least get your comments on this. Um, we are announcing today, um, we may have announced it last night on that call, I assume, um, too. But we are announcing that we are kicking off our efforts in the Supreme Court with a big forum that we're going to do online with uh, currently, the two progressive candidates uh, for for uh, Supreme Court justice that have announced. If others do, we will invite. But uh, for a forum similar to what we did with the U.S. Senate um, and uh, the Third Congressional District and and uh, Mayor here in Milwaukee, uh, a debate on our issues, on our platform, on our vision. Uh, this Supreme Court race is absolutely critical, the most important in our history. Um, because a different, if a progressive gets elected to the court, we could re-look at these gerrymandered maps and actually bring democracy back to the state of Wisconsin, amongst a whole bunch of other issues that the court is involved in. Robert, this is super important. And again, our form is going to be January 11th. We are very excited about it. But Again, Robert, your thoughts. This um, Supreme Court race is really, quite frankly, for democracy in our state. So we all lean in, as Matt said, to our agency, our, rather than tell, just being armchair quarterbacks. Uh, and so our next agency, I know people are, are worn out by the last election, is this election. And we got to remember that there's no separation on the Republican side, the Trump flavor and the whatever you want to call it, the Robin Voss, Scott Walker flavor, pumpkinism, all are for dominating this court. It legislated from the bench. It's been enacting voter suppression laws as politicians in robes. It ended drop boxes. It made it so you leave a zip code off and you're the witness to an absentee ballot and now it's invalid. Like we can't look up the zip code of an address with a valid witness. I mean, it's just, you know, this is what Jim Crow was mostly. It was little technical details that they uh, used to, uh, to to disenfranchise folks uh, and, and Black folks uh, almost entirely, though there was some collateral damage with poor white folks, uh, Not, but they, they tried to mitigate that, of course. So I, we, we just, this is really important. And we need a, a Democratic Party that could win, hold power in, 20, in the 2024 and 2025, rebalance the U.S. Supreme Court, because this gerrymandering is a, is, a, is, a, is a dagger at the heart of democracy, folks. So just remember, don't be demoralized by this election. Against all odds, we have a Democratic governor and attorney general. And does anyone really believe that Mandela Barnes would have lost if Citizens United had not been decided the way it was, and there wasn't $30 million of the most scurrilous, sleazy, trashy ads imaginable, you'd have to say that Ron Johnson's victory was historically ugly, and it will go down that way in the history of the state and the country. So folks, please uh, participate in this forum. It's going to be our first step in our endorsement process. Um, and really we're going to, we're going to survey everyone who attends on what they thought about the forum. If they have preferences in, uh, the candidate, if they think citizen action should, uh, endorse and 
ultimately all that info is going to go to our C4 board, which will uh, make an endorsement. But where our members are at and where our thoughts are going to be really important. So please, folks, sign up. There's going to be a link here uh, with the podcast uh, to be able to RSVP for the forum on January 11th. But folks, we got to wrap it up. Really appreciate our producer, Brian Wolder, who makes this happen every week. We will see y'all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.